Tonight we're resuming our study in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9. Before we begin, let's just take a moment and, and pray and ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word to the hearts of his people. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come undeservedly before your throne of grace through the merits of your beloved, well-pleasing Son, our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. We're so grateful, Father, that we read in your word how that it pleases you to save your people through what the world calls foolishness. But for us, Father, for your beloved people, it's the power of God unto salvation. I beg you, Father, for Christ's sake, for his glory, and the good and salvation of your people. Bless your loved ones gathered here this evening. Comfort them with the gospel of your son. It's so good to hear the gospel sung. And I pray, Lord, as we've been gathered here together undeservedly by your grace, that you would be pleased to bless, to bless the preaching of your gospel. We ask this for Christ's sake. In your son's matchless name we pray. Amen. Now, if you look there with me in verse 24, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 24, it says there, Romans chapter 9, verse 24, just two little words there. Even us. <laughs> what a blessed statement for a Gentile like you in the pew, and for a Gentile like me behind this pulpit. Even us. <laughs> Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And look there in verse 16. John's Gospel. Chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. You see, there's not just an elect people among the Jews, but among the Gentiles from every nation. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Again, verse 24 Romans 9, verse 24. It says there, in the 24th verse, Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Beloved, that's such an amazing statement. I mean, when we consider who we are, what we are, and where the Lord found us, even us, whom he had called. Beloved, he called us. He loved us. And we only love him because he first loved us. Indeed, we only call upon the name of the Lord because he called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And not only did the Lord call a multitude of Jews, but also, beloved, a multitude of Gentiles. You see, the Lord our God hath a chosen people. They're called a chosen generation. They're called a royal priesthood. 
who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Peter calls them a holy nation. And beloved, that's what God makes us in Christ, a holy nation. You see, his people are called a peculiar people. Now that word peculiar doesn't mean they're weird or unusual. Rather, that word means that they're bought, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And they do give the Lord our God all the honor and glory for their salvation, for salvation is of the Lord. As Paul said, we thank God always for you, brethren, for he hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Beloved, he did it all. He called us and he saved us to the uttermost. As we were singing that uh, stanza, (laughs) I love that stanza too, Brother Ray. He took in our sins, not in part, but the whole. You see, if the Lord Jesus Christ merely died for 99.9999% of my sins, I'd have no hope. The gospel is this, beloved. He's washed us thoroughly, completely. In fact, now this uh, verse is not in my notes, but turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. It's such a glorious gospel. And he gives his people grace to not only hear it, but to receive it and rejoice in the gospel of his beloved, well-pleasing son. And it says here, see if I can find the verse. (laughs) Yes, I found it. But let's look at verse 6 first. This is a picture of what we are left to ourselves. It says, The sole of the foot, even under the head there, is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. From the top of our head, beloved, to the bottom of our feet, that's what we are. One rotten, putrid sore, sin through and through. Look at verse 18. Come now. It's not an offer. It's a commandment. And our sovereign God will command and call his people. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You see, among the mass of fallen, sinful humanity, Jew and Gentile, there's just two kinds of people in this fallen world. Vessels of mercy and vessels of wrath. Those saved by the grace of God. Those who were lost, dead in sin. Sheep chosen, blessed of God. And then this other group, the goats, the reprobate. Whatever you do, Don't call the reprobate lost. The reprobate are not lost. You see, our Lord said this is the Father's will. (laughs) I never tire of repeating that. This is what our Lord has told us, beloved. Who wants to know the Father's will? I never tire of hearing it. He said this, and this is recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 6. You don't need to turn there, but you'll find it in John, chapter 6. He said, this is the Father's will, he who sent me, that of all that he has given me, And the implication is this, all that my heavenly father has given me to save, I shall lose nothing, (laughs) but raise it up again in the last day. You see, there's, is the elect of God 
and then there's what we call the, the reprobate. That is, all humanity is summed up into two groups, just two categories of people. In Adam, all died. In Christ, shall all be made alive. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ has justified, sanctified, and saved his church to the uttermost with his own precious blood. And we'll call, and we'll call out his people, his elect people, out with the gospel of his beloved son. These are called, as it says in the preceding verses in Romans chapter 9, vessels of mercy, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. The Lord has always determined to save a people from all eternity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Apostle Paul reinforces what has already been declared by citing eight different passages of Scripture from the Old Testament in Hosea and in the book of Isaiah. Now, of course, Paul could have used the whole of the Old Testament, but he limited himself to these eight scriptures that God had given to him, showing that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. All right, look at verse 25 and verse 26. As he saith also in Hosea, and this is Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, in Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. I love this statement. I will call them my people, which were not my people. That is, outwardly speaking, the Gentiles were not considered the people of God. Even so, even so, beloved, God says, I will call her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. That's, so, that's, that's good news for a Gentile like me and a Gentile like you. Turn with me to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. And look there with me in verse 23. We just read this a moment ago. And I will sow her unto me in the earth... And I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. Now earlier on in the passage, in verse 16, where it said, And, in, and it shall be said that day, saith the Lord, Thou shalt not call me Ishi, and shalt call me no more Bali. Thou shalt call me Ishi. That's, that's saying, Thou shalt call me husband. <laughs> husband, speaking about the bride of Christ and the intimate relationship we have with him. And thou shalt no more call me Baali, and that's a reference to uh, Lord. Now, the only reason, beloved, that we call our God, our God, because he has called us. And so the Gentile world, that is the non-Jewish world, born in sin, shaped in iniquity, raised in idolatry, and by nature loving darkness and hating the light, by nature haters of God, yet the Lord determined beforehand, before the foundation of the world, by his choice and eternal election and by his electing love, to make some Jews and Gentiles vessels of mercy, to make some of those fallen, sinful, and guilty people children of the living God, sons of God, and makes us accepted in his beloved 
well-pleasing son. Now, it doesn't say in God's word that we're made acceptable. No, no. Rather, beloved, we are accepted in the beloved Son of God. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, we have a clear declaration of the sovereign mercy of God. And back in verse 18 of Romans chapter 9, we see there God's word setting forth, indeed the apostle writing, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now look at verse 27, Romans 9, verse 27. Here we see the calling out of God's elect among the Jewish nation. Beloved, aren't you glad the gospel is not limited to the Jewish nation? You see, my friend, God has an elect people out of every kindred, tongue, people, tribe, and nation under heaven, both Jew and Gentile. And this is from Isaiah chapter 10, verse 22, and from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 22. Again, Romans 9, verse 27. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, and that's what preaching is. It's crying out, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Isaiah was bold, crying out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Verse 29. And as Isaiah said before, Except the Lord of Sabaoth, that is, except the Lord of hosts, had left us a seed, we had been as Sodoma and been made like unto Gomorrah. Now the calling of the calling out of the elect among the Jews, and this is given from Isaiah chapter one verse nine. Now you can, if you like to, you can write these references down if you want to look them up later. But we have uh, verse references from Isaiah chapter ten verse twenty two, twenty three, Isaiah chapter thirteen verse nine. And Isaiah chapter 28, verse 22. Now, though Abraham's physical seed were a multitude of millions of people, only a remnant will be chosen. Only a remnant will be justified and be saved in Christ. Now, if you turn just over the page to Romans chapter 11 and verse 5, we see there the apostle writing, even so, then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And so, my friend, you can't get away from this thing of God's electing love, God's electing grace. Verse 6, again, Romans 11, verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So he's saying it's either all of grace. Salvation is either all of grace or all of works. It can't be a mixture of both. And we know that salvation, as God's word sets forth and teaches, while well, salvation is all of grace. Again, verse 28, Romans 9, verse 28. For he will finish the work. God tells us plainly, beloved, I will finish the work. 
And that's exactly what our Lord and God Jesus Christ has done. He cried out upon Calvary's tree, It is finished. I will finish the work. And beloved, it's his work to finish our salvation. Remember what he prayed in John chapter 17? Father, I've finished the work you have given me to do. Now glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. For he will finish the work. It's his work, and he will cut it short. That is, make it certain and sure. And he'll do it in a righteous manner. He'll do it in righteousness. Everything God does, beloved, it must be right, just, and holy. Because a short work, a sure work, will the Lord make upon the earth. And that's speaking of his work, as we've said over and over again. I never tire of hearing it. Salvation is of the Lord. The Lord will finish his work upon the earth of calling out his people, and he will do it righteously and justly through Christ. He's going to save his people, but he's not going to violate his justice. His holy law must be honored. And indeed, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He honored and magnified the law. And so he's going to save his people justly and honor the law of God at the same time. It is his work, and it's called here a short work. Now, in the light of eternity, it's a short work, is it not? I mean, the Lord was here upon the earth just 33 years. His public ministry was just three years. And in that short period of time, in the fullness of God's time, he came and finished the work. But in the light of eternity, it was a short work. But it endures from everlasting, beloved, to everlasting. We also know this work, that it is a finished work, a short work. And we know that it is a sure work, as David said, ordered in all things and is sure. All the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, under the glory of God by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look again at verse 29. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth, and that means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of his people, except the Lord had left us a seed, a remnant, his chosen elect, we had been as Sodoma and been made like unto Gomorrah. Except the Lord had called us out and chose us by his undeserved grace. The wages of sin is death. And that's exactly what we deserve. That's exactly where God found us in our sin. But except the Lord had made us to differ. And remember what Paul asked that question? Who made you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? We can say with the Apostle Paul in another place, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so except the Lord had left us a seed, made, his, made us his people, made us the children of the living God, sons of God, heirs of grace, and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be just like all those people in Sodom and Gomorrah, upon which the righteous judgment of God fell. You see, we deserve the exact same thing. But God punished our sin in our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's had mercy upon us because it pleased him to do so. And so we're not deserving. We're not one whit better. We can't look down our nose at anybody. It's by God's undeserved grace, beloved, that we're saved to the uttermost. Verse 30. 
Paul, the apostle, writes, What shall we say then? And Paul uses that expression quite often. What shall we say then to these things? Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, just over to the left there. When he talks about those whom God predestinated, those whom he called, those he justified, those he glorified. Romans 8 verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And then he uses the same phrase here in Romans 9 verse 30. What shall we say then? Well, what a believer says is, thanks being to God who hath given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What shall we say then? Well, here's what Paul says, that the Gentiles, those who were without God, without hope, and without Christ, the Gentile dogs, the ungodly, the vile, wretched heathens, which followed not after righteousness, I mean, they knew nothing about righteousness, born in idolatry, raised in idolatry, heathen, well, they have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. Well, how did they attain a righteousness that's the righteousness of faith that justifies the ungodly before God Almighty? How did they attain it? Even the righteousness, the answer is right there, which is of faith. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, Turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved. It doesn't say by repentance are you saved. <laughs> it doesn't say these five steps of salvation you're saved. What does it say there, beloved? <laughs> by grace ye are saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. His workmanship. I don't think I'll be doing any damage to the text by giving you this illustration. When you see a work of art, it's only got one signature. One signature. The artist, the one who created it. And all of God's beloved people are made washed clean, truly cleansed of all their sins, and dressed in the very righteousness of God himself. And there's no co-signature in that work. It's all of Christ. I want to show you another passage that says the same thing. It says here, for we are his workmanship. We didn't have anything to do with this salvation. He justified us and he sanctified us created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem. Tell her that her warfare is accomplished, that she has received double of the Lord's hands for all her sins and iniquity. That same gospel message is throughout the scriptures. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. It says here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, Unto Adam also and to his wife Eve did the Lord God make coats of skins. 
This is a, a type, a picture of our justification. This is the blood of Christ. But it's only half a gospel. And then we read the other half of the glorious gospel of Christ. And it says there at the end, and clothe them. <laughs> so, Adam, how is it you found yourself in this wonderful garment? What does he say? He didn't put it on. <laughs> the Lord made it for me, and he clothed me in it. And that is a beautiful picture of our salvation, beloved, in Christ. What a glorious gospel it is. And so we can truly put it this way, beloved. Our righteousness is of Christ. Because, beloved, he is the Lord, our righteousness. Who obeyed the law of God for us? The Lord, our righteousness. Who put away our sin by the sacrifice of himself that justifies us before God? The Lord, our righteousness. Even the righteousness which is of faith. Remember how many times we read in Scripture, the just shall live by faith. We don't and we're not justified by the deeds of the law. Yeah. Remember in, in chapter 3 of Romans, it says, By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. My friend, no one was ever justified by their personal obedience to the law of God. Paul said of those Jews, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. And in Romans chapter 10, if you just turn there with me, Romans chapter 10, verse 4, it says there, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Believing God and looking to Christ, we have a blessed perfect righteousness that's been freely given unto us, beloved. Remember Romans chapter 4, verse 6. Romans chapter 4, verse 6. It sets forth there, Blessed is the man whom the Lord imputeth righteousness without works. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness by his sovereign purpose and by his sovereign grace, his electing grace indeed, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. And that is Christ who is the Lord our righteousness. Again, Romans 9, in verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Verse 32. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone of God's free grace. Israel, that Jewish nation, they missed the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he said to them, You are they which search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you might have life. Beloved, he came into his he came unto his own and his own received him not. The Jewish nation missed Christ because they were going about to establish a righteousness by their personal obedience to the law. They thought they could be justified by their personal obedience to the law. Remember our Lord said to them, if you there, turn there with me, and well, I'll, just, I'll just quote it to you. It's in the book of Luke. Luke excuse me. He said, You are they which justify, would justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. And he was talking to those Pharisees, those Israelites, 
they went about to establish a righteousness by their own doing. You were, you were they would, that would justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. That which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God, because they sought it not by faith, they sought it not by Christ. Saving faith only and ever looks to the Lord Jesus Christ. But as it were, by the works of the law, they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Now hold your place there for just a minute and turn a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And look what the apostle writes there in verse 22. Well, I'll begin reading at verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the, uh, of the cross, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, <laughs> you notice that, there are, there's going to be an elect amongst the Jews and elect, an elect amongst the Gentiles, both, both Jews and Greeks. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. By nature, we stumbled over the gospel. You see, to the carnal mind, it's a rock of offense. But the carnal mind receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Look, look back again to the text we're, we're in, Romans chapter 9, and again, verse 31. Romans 9, verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. They couldn't. The bar of God's justice is too high. Verse 22. 32, excuse me. Verse 32. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, they sought it not by Christ Jesus the Lord, the one who has honored the law of God for us and magnified it and made it honorable. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to honor the law. But as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. And the stumbling stone is Christ crucified. Look at verse 33. As it is written, and this is from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. God said, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Remember, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. And look there with me in verse 16. Beloved, this is what our Heavenly Father hath laid in Zion for us. And my friend, we'll stumble over this unless the Lord is pleased to teach us the gospel. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, 
Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. You know, sometimes you come across people that, you know, then they're to be pitied. They're in the world without God, without Christ, without hope. And I know, beloved, they, they treat you despicably. You know, an atheist will mock you and say, I don't need a crutch. <laughs> oh, I, would, I want them to know. Uh, only God can do it, but I want everyone to know, beloved, we don't have a crutch. <laughs> we have a sure foundation. We have a rock. <laughs> We're not limping along with a one arm on a crutch and trying to support our other arm. We're on the rock of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that rock, beloved, God's people, His church, His precious bride, she shall never be forced out. She shall never be ashamed. shall never stumble. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. You see that? And whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. The Lord has just one foundation. The Lord has just one way of saving sinners. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Lord said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one cometh unto the Father except by me. The Lord has just laid just one way of salvation. No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this last statement right here. This last expression there in, in Romans chapter 9, verse 33. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And we're going to see that again over in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, when we preach sovereign grace and sovereign mercy, as this chapter so clearly sets forth, how that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And then you read this statement, whosoever believeth on him, some people would come to the conclusion there's a contradiction somehow. Well, my friend, there's no contradiction. If there appears to be a contradiction, it's only because of our finite thinking, our puny little minds. Whosoever is a big wide word, but that word does not indicate that sinners are saved by their free will. It doesn't indicate that at all. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever, and here's the key in this verse. Now everybody likes to quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Well, let's read that again. Shall not perish but have everlasting life. The, the original language, it's saying there, this, uh, that word, it says, whoever believeth, it actually can be rendered without doing any damage to the text. Whoever is believing on him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believing on him should not, have, should not perish but have everlasting life. And so the whosoever believeth is those who call upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever believes on him shall not never be confounded, 
shall never be forced out, shall never be cast out, shall never be ashamed. Now, this word does not indicate that men of their own volition and will believe the gospel. We know that's not so because men are dead in sins. And so what Paul is saying is this, whosoever believeth, well, believeth what? I've met a lot of people that say they're Christian. And unless the Lord has given you grace to understand the gospel, you might think it very curious for me to say, I can hear someone say they, they're a Christian, and then I can walk away from that conversation and say, I don't believe they've heard the voice of my Lord. I don't believe they've heard his voice savingly. Why do I say that? Because I'll ask them, well, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do when he shed his precious blood? And I hope this is helpful for everyone here. There's a false gospel that teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ merely made salvation possible. And now it's up to you to do something with what he made possible. That is not the gospel. It's the idea uh, that you find in Roman Catholicism. It's called universal redemption. The idea is that when the Lord Jesus Christ shed his precious blood on the cross, that he merely made salvation possible for every single human being in, in the past, the present, and the future. And now it's up to those individuals to do something with Christ. That is not the gospel. Listen to our Lord speak. <laughs> I certainly I want to spare you having to listen to me. I'd rather have you listen to him. He said he gave his life for the sheep. And speaking about his, uh, his uh, ransom, he said, the Son of Man did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. <laughs> not a few, not everybody, but a many. And so it really comes down to two different gospels you're going to hear. The gospel that gives God all the glory in salvation and this other false gospel. The two words that are helpful are, are you hearing a gospel of purpose are you hearing a gospel of possibility left to you? Um, turn with me to Second Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter one. Now, some, many of you are familiar with this portion, but I never tire of reading it. Second Timothy, chapter one. Now, Paul is writing to young Timothy, and he writes there. In verse 8, Be not thou, thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us. Well, when did he save us, beloved? Before the foundation of the world, in the eternal covenant of grace, in the eternal counsel of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God purposed to save a particular people. And in time... God sovereignly reigns over everything for the good of his people. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Well, we love him because he first loved us. The called according to his purpose. And in time, through the preaching of the gospel, he calls us. And that call is, is a holy calling. It's a perfect, holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. If any one of us gathered here this evening is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, you just read <laughs> why you believe. <laughs> 
on purpose. Not left to chance, not possibility. God purposed to save his people and his beloved son. And so, the whosoever, what do they believe? They believe the gospel. Well, the gospel is much more than a, a what. It's a who. The Lord Jesus Christ. And if you take a look there in, again, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I love emphasizing this. See, the Apostle Paul didn't have some uh, theology that he trusted in. He didn't trust in some sound confession. You know, you hear some people that like to talk about which confession do your, does your church adhere to. <laughs> well, listen to our brother Paul, and I think uh, we'll, we'll conclude here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and look there with me in verse 12. He says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. He didn't believe a what. It wasn't a, a, a theological position he believed in. He believed in a person. Beloved, salvation is found in a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I know whom I have believed and, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I am committed unto him against that day. The Apostle Paul said he was persuaded. I wonder why. Could it be that he believed the Lord Jesus Christ? What did the Lord say? He said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. If you're trusting someone to save you who has all power in heaven and earth, do you think they're going to fail? <laughs> no way. <laughs> no way. All right, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, once again, we're so thankful, Father, that we're gathered here into this place to hear the gospel of our salvation, to hear of the glories of your Son, to hear about his blessed person and his finished saving work, to hear afresh, Father, when you bless the preaching of your word with your spirit, to hear that our salvation is finished that we are complete in your beloved, well-pleasing Son, that we're not left to ourselves, but we're found in his precious blood, washed freely, completely of all our sins and dressed in the perfect, righteous obedience of your well-pleasing Son. Father, thank you for teaching us that when you save your people, it's not by chance, it's not by accident, but you sent your Son into the world to save sinners. And I beg you, Father, that you would show everyone gathered here this evening, show your loved ones afresh that that's all we are before your throne. Sinners saved undeservedly by the grace you've purposely given to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. So sure and certain is our salvation, we hear that it was purposed by you before the foundation of the world. And I pray, Lord, that you would comfort each one of your beloved people this evening. Cause us to, once again, to take our eyes off of ourselves and off this wretched flesh that we are and have them set 
on the blessed flesh of the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to see his life lived out before you is pleasing in your sight, not ours. And his sin-atoning death accomplished our warfare. Through his doing and dying, Father, we stand accepted in your beloved Son. And I beg you, Father, please have mercy on us all. Behold us, Father, for Christ's sake. Lead us and guide us and set us in the way everlasting. According to your holy and perfect will, Father, cause us all to grow in the grace, the knowledge, and indeed the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We beg you. And it's in your Son's matchless name, the name of your beloved Son, our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, that we pray.